Well, very good morning to you, and uh, thank you, James, for introducing me, and thank you, Lewis, for reading. Um, For those who don't know me, my name is Mark, and um, I am the uh, Oak Hill placement student. Now, Oak Hill is a Bible college, which is kind of just down the road. Um, If you were to head to Southgate Tube Station, uh, you'd go along a a road called Chaseside, and Oak Hill College is on Chaseside, um, effectively. Um, I started in September, and you guys have been my placement church from then. Now, I do have an apology to make, which is that I've not been here very much. Um, you may have seen me like, in and out a little bit and thought, who, who is this random guy? Uh, he just kind of rocks up every so often. Um, well, I've, I've had some family commitments back home um, where I'm from, which is in Devon. Um, sadly, my father passed away last year, and so I've been spending, trying to spend a bit of time with my mother, uh, who now lives on her own. So that's the reason why I haven't been here. However, I am here now. Well, thanks, Lewis, for reading. Um, as, we, as we come to God's words, as we come to the scriptures, let's pray together um, to ask the Lord to help us um, to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Uh, Sovereign Lords, you are in authority over all things. Our Lord Jesus is seated on the throne. As we listen to what you are speaking, please make our ears eager to hear you. And please do this for your glory. Amen. Now, um, just to warn you, I've got a bit of a cough. Um, unfortunately, about three weeks ago, I was supposed to lead the service, apparently. Um, three weeks ago, I had COVID, and it's rather left me with a tickle in my throat. So if I start coughing, that'll be the reason why. The thing is, though, it was pretty much two years uh, today, this month, that we were getting the first kind of government advice about what the symptoms for COVID were. So if you have a, um, a, a loss of taste, you can't taste anything. If you've got a bit of a dry cough, um, which means you're not coughing up any phlegm, just to, it's a bit ugly, I know, but that's a dry cough. It uh, doesn't have phlegm. And if you, uh, if you have these symptoms, and maybe you've got a bit of a fever as well, then you've probably got COVID. Do, you, do we all remember that? Yeah. It's etched in our memories, unfortunately. But these are the symptoms that you're looking for, aren't they? You need to know the symptoms to know what the problem is. Now, back at college, um, well, before that, I actually studied automotive engineering at university. And so back at college, unfortunately, a couple of people are aware of this. So every so often, I get someone coming up to me, one of my college friends, going, oh, Mark, you like cars, don't you? Um, Mine's making a funny noise. Oh, really, is it? (laughs) Okay, I'll come and have a look for you. Um, and so I go over to the car and I lift the bonnet and I listen to the rattle or you know, start to pull stuff apart. And I, and I give my diagnosis based upon the symptoms that I've observed or listened to. Now, if it wasn't for the symptoms, we wouldn't know that anything was amiss. But the danger is if we ignore the symptoms and we just carry on as if nothing was the problem. Because symptoms are important, aren't they? They give us an indication of what is going on underneath the surface. There's symptoms, too, in the Gospel of Mark that we had our reading from. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And we, we see the chief priests and teachers of the law, they've been plotting to kill Jesus. These are the symptoms. These are the symptoms. But the disciples don't understand. They don't read the symptoms. This morning we're presented with the Last Supper, and it's the final meal Jesus will eat before he goes to his passion of his suffering and his death. 
Uh, We'll see the prediction of a betrayal, a disowning of his own followers. But over it all, Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. Now, the the tone of this passage is one of increasing pressure. Uh, Jesus knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. I mean, we know what awaits Jesus in Jerusalem because we know the end of the gospel. And he's going to be handed over, he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to die. Now, um, have, you, have you ever been, um, ever had to have one of those difficult conversations with perhaps a family member or a spouse where you know it's going to be very, very difficult? And you've set a date, we're going to chat about it then. And you can feel that increasing pressure of going, I'm going to have to have this conversation and I really don't want to. And so the pressure just keeps building and your mind full of questions. How are they going to respond? What are they going to say? And you can just feel that weight or that burden in your heart, can't you? Well, that is a fraction of what Jesus is feeling at this moment in time. Yet Jesus shows extraordinary calm. He's facing the prospect of extreme suffering. He knows what awaits him. And every fiber of his humanity wants to run away from what is facing him. As, he, as we know, he prays in the garden, Lord, take this cup from me. Jesus does not go to the cross easily. But he goes to it in the midst of increasing pressure. So this Last Supper then in Mark chapter 14 stands as like an island of calm in a, in, a, in, a pre, in a pressure cooker. But he also creates something new. Now, if you've, if you've got a Bible in front of you, please do grab it and turn to Mark chapter 14. It's on page 1020. And while you're turning there, let's just remind ourselves what is going on. Now, Mark makes it clear to us this passage um, is about a meal of celebration, the, Is- the Israelites' rescue from Egypt. And we see four scenes in our, in our passage this morning. Four scenes. Imagine for a moment that it's, it's actually a play um, that's being played out in front of you. And we've got each scene as a marker of changing in, in tempo. Our first scene is called the Passover, verses 12 to 16. But before looking at this text, what is Passover? Well, let's go back to Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And we find the Lord's instruction to... Moses and Aaron. I'm just going to read a a short section to you from it. Uh, This is the Lord speaking. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, This month is to be your first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the on the tenth of this day, uh, the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a, a whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbour having taken into account the number of people there are. It goes on to say, The animals you must choose must be year-old males without defects. You must take them from sheep or goats and take care of them until the 14th day. You must slaughter them at twilight. Now comes more important part. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn both people and animals, and bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Finally, the blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. I will see the blood and I will pass over you. 
That is the Exodus. And the connection between what is going on in Mark 14 and what happened at the Exodus is only ever going to become more and more clear. So the blood of the Lamb that Israel sacrificed stopped the Lord's judgment. It passes over. Yet there's a problem. Because something, is more, power, something more powerful is required to satisfy the Lord's righteous anger. And so the connection is becoming clearer. Just as Israel sacrificed a lamb to spare them from the Lord's judgment, so Jesus is going to be that lamb. So God's, all of God's stored rage at mankind will be poured out upon Jesus at the cross. This is what Jesus knows is facing him in the morning. Jesus is going to be that Passover lamb. However, did you notice how the story went through? Jesus was in complete control of the situation. Verse 14, Jesus sends um, two of his disciples into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where am I eat the Passover with my disciples? Uh, now, a brief word on context. A man carrying a water jar. I'm sorry to say this, but um, that's frankly a woman's job. It would not be normal for a man to be carrying a water jar. And so in context, in the time we're living in, in, um, in Mark's Gospel, it should be a woman. So for the disciples, you're not going to miss something so odd as that. And the disciples in verse 16 carry out all their instructions to the detail. And lo and behold, everything fits together. It fits like a jigsaw because it's been planned by the providence of God. And as Jesus has already told his disciples time after time, the Son of Man will go, uh, will go just as it has been written. Just as it's been written, everything is happening to fulfill the Scriptures. Now, the Passover meal was supposed to be a celebration of rejoicing that God rescued his people from Egypt. But this Passover meal is shrouded in betrayal. Our scene um, from going outside the house, inside the house, now, we're now at the, at the dinner table. And it's our second scene, the betrayal. Now, betrayal from your enemy is one thing. You, to some extent, you expect your enemy to betray you, don't you, if they haven't done already. But the betrayal here comes from one of Jesus' own disciples. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, I don't know if this resonates with you, but betrayal is such a painful experience, and it can leave deep scars for a very long time. I'm sure, well, I'm almost certain that one of us, or if not all of us, sorry, have been betrayed at some point in our lives. Uh, maybe it was in the school playground, and as a kid, you or Friends, who you thought you were friends, turned out not to be. But maybe it's taken into adulthood as well. And that can be even more painful. Uh, it's very sad uh, that I heard that the top cause of divorce is infidelity. It's very sad. And what makes uh, unfaithfulness in marriage so difficult is that it's a betrayal of trust and love. It's that person that you've exposed yourself the most to in so many ways 
those children that you've brought up together, that you've nurtured together, the memories that you've shared with one another, the holidays that you've been on, are destroyed by betrayal. The same can happen in other contexts too, like in families when a brother or sister um, neglects a parent and abuses them. Or that friend who you thought loved you betrays you by giving away some of your secrets. This is all to say that Jesus knows the pain of betrayal. Jesus knows the pain of betrayal. He himself was betrayed by someone he loved. He was betrayed by someone he trusted and someone he discipled. Perhaps you've got a memory of betrayal in your mind, or perhaps it's very fresh to you this morning. Your Savior feels that pain. He knows that pain. To make matters worse, though, Jesus knows his betrayer is not going to repent. He's not going to say sorry to him. Now, the the Psalms are a wonderful gift from God, and they're like an emotional barometer that enable us to pray prayers that we can pray when we don't know what to say to the Lord. They are beautifully written. In Psalm 41, we find these words, and listen out for what sounds familiar. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shares my bread, has turned against me. Does that resonate with you? Can you see the theme of betrayal in the psalm? And how much more true is it of the Lord Jesus Christ, where this, this is actually a prophecy of what Jesus is going to go through? I think what the most surprising thing about this betrayal, though, is Jesus is going to allow it to happen. Why? Verse 21 of our passage. The Son of Man will go just as it is written. Again, Jesus is fulfilling the Scriptures. And nothing that humans can do will stop the plans of a providential God. The whole meal has a sober tone to it. In verse 19, all the disciples are cut to the heart. Uh, They're concerned that they're the ones guilty of betrayal of Jesus. They have no clue that Judas is that one. But there is a warning to Judas, and it's it's a very sober warning, in fact. It would have been better for him not to have been born. That is to say... God's sovereignty does not take away from human responsibility. God's sovereignty does not take away from human responsibility. We are still responsible for how we respond to things and responsible for our sin. You see, Judas could have repented, uh, but he saw more value in Jesus' death than the woman who broke the jar uh, and anointed Jesus just verses before. Okay, well, let's pause there, and I want to uh, consider a couple of things for a moment. I, I, I haven't che- well, I, the source I got these facts from, I'm pretty certain it's, it, they're right. Um, if you think I've got these wrong, or if you know I've got these wrong, come and talk to me at the end so I can correct it, in, at least in my mind anyway. Uh, Muhammad died in Medina 
at the age of 62 or 63, uh, we don't know, um, in the arms of his wife, Aisha. And he was at that stage a wealthy ruler of Arabia. Um, he, was, he's, he is remembered, amongst other things, as a, a victorious military leader. Uh, Buddha, according to legend, died at the age of 80. Um, Chairman Mao, uh, founder of communist China, uh, died at the age of 82, even though he smoked every single day of his life and had two heart attacks. I, I think he did pretty well, all things considered. Contrast those people for a moment with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died in his 30s. He was surrounded by no one who loved him. Uh, He died alone and deserted by those whom said they would follow him. Jesus was put put to death by those who thought they were doing the world a favor. But do you know the most striking thing about Jesus' death is not his age nor his circumstances, but that he came with this purpose in the first place. He didn't come as a military leader, because we see that as powerful. Uh, He didn't come to get married and have lots of wives and make a name for himself. He did not come to set up a a regime and have statues erected in his honor. He came to die. Why, Why would someone do that? Why would you come to die? It looks folly to the world. It looks weak. It looks pathetic. Well, the answer is found as we look to our third scene, which is the new covenant. We, the camera pans, and we see Jesus at the head of the table. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and drank from it. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, can you see the Exodus passage kind of shining through here? Jesus tells his, tells his disciples that his body, represented by the bread, is broken, and that the cup is the and that the cup of his blood is um, poured out for many. Now, um, we won't we won't we won't say at this service, um, but if you're if you go to a, probably a more traditional Anglican service, you will say words of liturgy. Uh, before communion. What they do is they're very good at pointing us to Jesus and his death on the cross. Let me, let me read some of the words to you. So it's called the prayer of consecration, which, which the uh, vicar will pray over um, the bread and the wine. It says this, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, in your tender mercy you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. Then comes this section. He made there, by his once and for all offering of himself, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Did you hear the strength of that language? His once and for all offering of himself. Jesus gives himself completely. And Jesus is a full, he is perfect, and he is a sufficient sacrifice for every sin ever committed. There is no sin that is beyond the realms of redemption within Jesus. It briefly goes on to say, he instituted and in his holy gospel commands us, Christians, to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Keep doing this, guys. 
Keep remembering what I have done for you because its value is so great. Jesus is the Passover lamb whose blood will protect all those who trust in him from God's righteous judgment against sin. And because of Jesus' blood, like in the exodus of the lamb, God's wrath will pass over the Christian. You see, just briefly, God is angry at sin. He's really angry. He has to be because he claims to be holy. An unholy God wouldn't be angry and Jesus wouldn't be required. But God has made a provision because he loves us. He's provided an escape from his wrath and from his anger. And it's the blood of Christ. And it's not painted on your house, but it's painted on your soul. It's painted on your soul. Well, this is the new covenant. And it's, and it's a covenant that is not of one people group, like the people of Israel. But it's a worldwide covenant for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The church is global because Jesus' blood forgives all those who trust in him. No one is excluded here. Now, if you were here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want you to think long and hard about this question. Why did Jesus come to die? Why did he choose to die? Why did he choose to die for you? If you are here and you're trusting in Christ, take hope that Jesus' blood has the power to cleanse you from every single sin. That no judgment of God will fall upon you because it's already fallen on Christ upon the cross. So let's pause for a moment. If we were celebrating communion, church, um, communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, however you want to label it, how should we come to it? What should we be thinking when we come to the Lord's Supper? I think we should give thanks. I think we should give thanks that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has bought our freedom from judgment. We can thank God for providing us with Jesus. But as we come into land, the passage doesn't finish there because there's just one more thing, or a couple more things, in verse 25, and Jesus has something else in his mind's eye. The dinner party of the heavenly banquet is the hope of every believer trusting in the Lord. Jesus dies to redeem us, he forgives our sin, and brings us to new life. That is to say, we can live with an eternal hope the hope of eternity, where there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, and no more betrayal. Jesus wants us there. It's not as though we're trying to force his hand open to try and give it to us. He wants us to come into his new creation. And we've been redeemed, so we can look forward to it with an eternal hope. Now, I'm not a massive Shakespeare fan. I don't know if you are. Um, I, I went to two Shakespeare plays with some friends a couple of years ago, completely wasted on me. I couldn't understand a word that was being said. I just kind of went along for the social aspect of it. That was the only reason why I went. Um, so if you're a Shakespeare fan, I hope... Yeah. Have you, have you heard of Macbeth? Yeah, most people have heard of Macbeth. That's good. 
Well, in the story of... Oh, spoiler alert, by the way. You've had a significant amount of time to read up on Shakespeare. Like, he's been around a while, so... Anyway, in the story of Macbeth, Macbeth and his wife murder King Duncan. And this is a bid for power in Scotland. They want all the power. And so they kill the king. In the aftermath of that, in desperation, they try and cover up what they've done by hiding themselves. And, 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 but they're so covered with shame in that. Now, Macduff seeks to avenge them. But they don't actually fear Macduff. They're tortured by their crime. They're tortured by what they've done. And the phrase that Macbeth says at the start of the play captures the whole thing. It captures the whole play. Now, I don't understand this very well, so I hope this makes more sense to you. But here we go. Macbeth says, false face must hide what the false heart does know. False face must hide what the false heart does know. Now, I don't fully understand how to explain Shakespeare, but I'm going to explain it using Jesus and Peter. Because that's what's going to play out between Peter and Jesus. Peter will be brought down from his high and mighty position in verses 29 and 31. And Peter already has a bit of an issue. His mouth is writing checks, his body won't cash. But more importantly, Peter will not be able to stand with Jesus because Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. This is our fourth and final scene, the fulfillment. Now briefly, in verse 27, Jesus quotes Zechariah, and it contains two things that God is going to do. Firstly, God is going to strike the shepherd. Jesus is that very shepherd. And it's going to be for the sake of others that he's going to be struck. And secondly... God is going to scatter the sheep of that shepherd. The disciples are not going to remain with Jesus. He will go to the cross alone. And this comes into focus in verse 48, when Jesus is arrested. Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion that you've come at me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Yet even after this whole event, verse 28, Jesus gives us hope. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus again tells his disciples, I'm going to rise. There is hope on the horizon. There is hope on the horizon. So the only conclusion we can come to then is Jesus is fulfilling all the scriptures that he will truly rise again. So to finish then, we've had four scenes. We've had four scenes. We've had the Passover. We've come to the table and we've seen Jesus' betrayer. Then we've seen Jesus at the head of the table making a new covenant And finally, we've seen the fulfillment of all the scriptures. And through it all, Jesus has been steadfast. He's confirming to us that he is the Passover lamb who takes away your sin and the sin of the whole world. The question comes to us, do we see the symptoms that Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures? Can we, like the Roman centurion at the cross, exclaim the words, truly, 
this man is the son of God. I want, I want to finish with a brief illustration. Um, I want you to imagine that it's Monday morning, tomorrow morning. Actually, maybe that's quite a hard thing to imagine because you've got work. Huh. Imagine for a moment, you, you go to your front door, the post has just been delivered, and you look down at the doormat and there's a, a letter. Amongst many, there's a letter, and the quality of the paper is significantly better than all the others. It's not like the trash that Christchurch Barnet sends to you. It's really good quality. And you pick it up and you turn it over. And on the back of it is those um, wax stamps. Do you know what I mean? And so it's been stamped. And on the stamp, or on the wax, sorry, is HM. Yeah, that's right, HM. And you open it and you find that you've been invited to a Queen's Garden party. I don't know about you. That's, I would love that to happen to me. Maybe, maybe you're not a fan of the monarchy. I don't know. Hoping you are. But you open it and you find you've got an RSVP. Now, would you delay in RSVPing that letter? I certainly wouldn't. Frankly, I'd sack off everything else I had that morning until I got that RSVP filled in and sent off. I'd be excited. I'm sure you would be too. But we'd be honoured, wouldn't we, that we've been invited to share with Her Majesty. We'd be honoured to share stuff with her, share her time, her foods, her, anything else that she has to offer. Well, Jesus makes us a far greater offer this morning. Christian, he invites you to his table to share in his kingdom. And he does this by shedding his blood on the cross. So we can look forward to an even greater party in heaven because we have been redeemed by our king's blood. Take a moment for your thoughts and then I'll say a prayer to close. Holy Father, we thank you so much for our saviour Jesus. Thank you that he invites us to his table in the new kingdom. But while we await the new kingdom, may we take heart that the memory of his death and resurrection, knowing that through trusting in him, we too may be resurrected on that final day. Lord, we ask this not for our own glory, but for yours. Amen.